Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're now locked into the zone with Diamonds and Roses podcast, bringing you one step closer to Pacific Northwest and Southwest Canada baseball news, stories, and history. Proudly fueled by Baseballism, their America's brand, and Devo Bat Company, professional wood grain bats for the love of the game. And now your hosts, Ben and Travis. Welcome, everyone, to episode two, season six of the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Today, we have a great person that's on board, just got done literally doing 365 days of playing catch. I mean, just doing that alone is a tremendous, tremendous feat. Um, but, you know, beyond that, I'm just really, really happy to have this person on. We've spent some time and I really wanted to get him on because, you know, in the Twitter sphere, you know, he's out there every day making some positive vibes. I mean, that's one of the things I like about this person is the positivity that they bring to Twitter and the baseball community. And, you know, heck, I'm going to shut up and I'm just going to introduce <laughs> the person because it's been a lot. I like to welcome for the first time ever. And hopefully get a reoccurring guest, Mr. John Zucanek. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. It's it's a pleasure to be here. I have listened to your podcast. I'm a I'm a fan of baseball content. And and when you're talking and listening to people that love the game, there's just a connection there. So I appreciate being a guest. And uh anytime, anytime you want me to come on and and chat about anything, I'd be happy to do it. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to just a comment I just made, which is your positivity and not only positivity, but creativity on baseball and pe- you bringing people into your realm, your comfort zone, the thing that you enjoy most, which is baseball. You know, what about baseball? What is it about baseball to you? Like, what is it about this positivity? Because to me, baseball is like, Baseball is a family. Like you get involved in it, it's a community, but it's a family. It's a family that's there. What, like, what is baseball to you? Yeah, it's funny. You're absolutely right. There is something about the game, right? I love all sports. I played football. I played football in college. You know, I I love all sports, but there is something different about baseball, and and I I don't really know what it is. I think it's I think it starts when we're kids, right? Most people have played catch at some point with their moms or their dads or their friends, you know, T-ball and little league, you know, it's America's pastime for a reason. And I think that ingrains in us a sense of romanticism about it. I get romantic about baseball. And when Mm -hmm. you think about it, you know, the ball and the glove and the sounds and sitting in the, in the ballpark on a sunny day in your short shirt sleeves and having a hot dog, there's just something about it. You can watch the game and be invested in everything that goes on but you still have a chance to sit and talk to your dad or your kids or your friends. And I think that just is uniquely baseball. Uh, you don't get that at a basketball game. You certainly don't get it in the NFL or at a college football game. And I think all of that adds up into something special about baseball. And for me, that started when I was a kid, both playing mm-hmm. in the backyard with my brother, playing catch with my dad. And, and it just, in, for those of us that are lucky, it never leaves you and, and you grow up and, and you love the game and you're a fan of it. And it's it's just a special it's a special game. Is it is it because and I like I think you bring you bring up a good point, like unlike any other sports, I think baseball to me anyways, but let's think about what you hear. It's one of those sports where, like you said, you can move your attention away from like what's going on on the field, but then easily go back to like what's there and understand what just happened or what's going on or you'll know by the sounds of the crowd like what just happened and you can snap your attention like is it just because it's that easy to pick back up i i think so i think there is something to that right i mean you know there's a reason that the great play-by-play you know listen to vin scully 
right? And half yeah. the time that Ben Scully is talking to you, he's he's explaining the, what's going on in the game. The other half of it, he's telling stories and he's telling stories mm-hmm. about life and things that you can relate to and things that that he relates to. And there, there's just the natural rhythm of the game is made for connections with people. It, yes. It's made to sit there with your buddy or your dad or your kids and watch the game, but also be just as invested in the conversation you're having with them. And it's it's really just a beautiful thing. And uh, nothing drives me more crazy than when people say the game is boring because they're missing it. The game, the game is wonderful. The quote boring parts, you're doing it wrong. You need to be you need to be having those moments and those conversations with the people around you. Yeah. Um, that it's not boring at all. It, it's beautiful. Yeah, because you're right. I mean, they talk about like the time it takes between the pitches and and so on. It's like, well, you're focused more on time and like what what time means to you as opposed to time to other people who really are are enjoying the game, which is just being out there with your family and your friends and enjoying enjoying that 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 togetherness which yeah i i I, I understand why they're bringing in the pitch clock this year but i hate it because i i like that time you know if the pitcher needs to sit there for a minute to figure out what he's doing or the batter wants to get out and fiddle with his batting gloves like i appreciate that that's part of the rhythm of the game to me Mm -hmm. and it's part of what makes it special to me i wish they weren't trying so hard to to make it faster for people that don't appreciate those things Yeah. So John, what's, what, what's your earliest, what, what's one thing that, that you can always go back to and say, this is something that like, I remember is the earliest remembrance that I have of baseball coming into my life. Sure. So I, I'm 49 years old. And so I grew up in the era of, there was no internet, there was no cell phones, there was no cable, or there was no, you know, satellite TV or, or anything like that. So for us growing up, we would come home and the Braves and the Cubs were on, um, on TV. I, I was part of that generation. And because there wasn't those things to do, there was no video games in my house. When I came home from school, I went outside and played. And I went outside with my brother and my friends. And we played everything. We played football in the front yard and basketball in the driveway. But my favorite thing is we played wiffle ball in the backyard. We had a great, we had a great house for wiffle ball. And we would play every day. And and we would try to be those guys we saw on TV, you know, Dale Murphy and Ryan Sandberg. And for me, for, for whatever reason, I fell in love with baseball. For, I fell in love with the Mets, the mid-80 New York Mets. And part of it was because, like, I would buy a pack of baseball cards and you get Daryl Strawberry. And what what 12-year-old kid is it like, oh, my gosh, his name is Daryl Strawberry. That's amazing. Yep. Big, and, big wad of chew or gum in his Right, mouth. right. <laughs> And Dwight Gooden, Dwight Gooden and Lenny Dykstra. So th- that was the first team I, I fell in love with. And then in the pinstripes, the the pinstripes, man. Yeah, that was beautiful. And the apple comes up in Shea Stadium when the when they hit the home run. Yep. I was just mesmerized by that team and that group of characters. And I'm 13 years old, 1986 in the World Series. The Mets make the World Series against the Red Sox. And that was oh. the first World Series I remember caring about. Right. And I was all in. I wanted the Mets to win. And I had been introduced to the Red Sox and the curse. And this whole entire fan base believed that they were cursed because they sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees in the 1920s. And I just found that fascinating. And as I watched the World Series unfold, you know, obviously we get to game six and it's over. The Red Sox are going to win. And I'm I'm upset because the Mets are going to lose. That's who I'm rooting for. The Red Sox are going to win and end the curse. And then, you know. Gary Carter gets a base hit. And a few minutes later, you have the famous, you know, Vince Scully call a little roller up along first. It gets by Buckner. Here comes Knight and the Mets win. And and my 13-year-old sports brain had never seen anything like that. It was the most amazing thing I had ever seen. I couldn't comprehend that the Mets had nobody on and and two outs and no and were down two runs and somehow came back to win this game. And then they, they would obviously go on to win the World Series in game seven. And I was hooked. I was hooked at that point. And so I was 13 mm-hmm. and I thought this is the greatest thing ever. I, I became a baseball fan. And over the next couple of years, I realized it was really hard to follow the New York Mets from Vancouver, Washington, when there's no, <laughs> yeah. there's no cable, there's no internet. Um, I was literally looking up the box scores the next morning to see how they did. And over the course of 1987, 1988, I realized there's a team in Seattle 
and they're not very good, but they're right there. And I can listen to them on the radio and I can watch them on TV. I can go to the games. And I started following the Mariners and, you know, Alvin, Alvin Davis and Jimmy Presley and the great Dave Niehaus. And I kind of started to fall in love with the Seattle Mariners. And then in 1989, I'm 16 years old and I'm getting ready to kind of think I should be a Mariners fan anyway. And somebody you may have heard of, Ken Griffey Jr., um, shows up. And all of a sudden we have the coolest player and we have the best player. And I became a Mariners fan. And it's it's thankfully never left me. I'm I'm just, mm-hmm. just as passionate about the game and the Mariners as I am at 49 as I was at, at 16 when I kind of fell in love with them. And that's yeah. kind of that's kind of how I fell in love with baseball and and stayed with it. Unfortunately, I wasn't good at it. I couldn't hit. Um and I I ended up I'm you know, I'm six five and three hundred pounds. So I was good at football and that's what I played in college, but I would have traded it all if I could have mm-hmm. hit a curveball and played third base or something. So or you could throw like 95 to hundred miles yeah. an hour with a great curve. Right? <laughs> I, I could throw a mean curve with the wiffle ball, but with a regular ball, it wasn't so good. So everybody has their story of playing that one story. That is absolutely hilarious of a time when you're playing out in the backyard with your friends or your family. Like for me, for example, I remember ghost runner on second, my brother's pitching me the ball. I got aluminum bat and I hit a tennis ball and it lines and whacks him like right in the private area and it drops him. And he, I'm crying as I'm like running around the bases because, you know, my brother can kill me, but I'm like literally crying because I'm laughing so hard at the fact that he's like curled up in the middle of the field. Do you have like one of those funny stories like everybody else does? Yeah, so one of one of the one of the best parts of playing wiffle ball as a kid is you have your home field rules, right? Yeah. And we played in our backyard and we had a really good yard set up for for wiffle ball. And we had we had a standing rule in our we you know, when you're a kid, we had one ball. And so, you know, if you hit it over the fence, you better go get it. If you hit it out into the street, you better hope a car doesn't run over it. So we had a rule in our house that if you hit it up onto the roof and it rolls down and got stuck in the gutter, you were automatically out of your inning was over and you lose all the runs you accumulated in that inning because because it was ultimate, you know, somebody is going to have to get up on the roof to get the ball out of the gutter. So I was playing with some friends one time and, and I was ahead and I was pitching and, and I just, they just started hitting me, right. They hit a couple of home runs and they had some runners on base and I was going to blow, I was going to blow it. And they hit it up under the roof. And it almost rolled over like it came this close to rolling over for a grand slam. But it just the baseball gods held it up at the top of the roof (laughs) and it rolled slowly down and landed in the gutter. And they lost all their runs and all their base runners. And the inning was over and I won the game. And to this day, to this day, my friend will still be mad at me because he says I cheated him in that game. And I just said, those those are the house rules. That's how it worked at my house. Oh, man. That is that is hilarious. Just the yeah, quiz. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, you know, another, another thing about baseball is that first time you go to a major league stadium. For me, growing up in the East Coast in Vermont, it was going to Montreal and Olympic Stadium, watching the I mean, I remember just like yesterday, it was muggy as all can be inside the Olympic in the dome there in Montreal watching the Expos take on the Pirates. And I just remember just walking through that the the door and then going and then opening up to the field and then being able to walk down and just like, wow, this is amazing. You know, what was where was your what that experience for you and what was it like? Yeah, it's very similar, right? And and I think that's a defining moment for for baseball fans that, that you get to experience that. For me, it was in the Kingdom in, in Seattle, and it was probably oh, it was probably nineteen eighty six, eighty five, eighty six. And my dad took me up to a game at the Kingdom. It was the Mariners and the Twins. This is before Griffey, and and, and um, same sort of thing. People people say the Kingdom was ugly, and and people called it the concrete jungle, and that it was hideous, but I'm telling you, when I walked out of that tunnel and you see, I mean, it was turf in the kingdom, but when you see the turf and the green and the scoreboard and stuff you've only seen on TV or heard on the radio, like 
you're hooked and it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I have a soft spot for the kingdom because of that moment. I, to me, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful place. And I, and I get it that it's, you know, I get it now. And, and if you go up there to to T-Mobile park now, obviously it doesn't even compare what a beautiful stadium, but, but for me, that moment was in the kingdom and it wasn't the green grass. It was the green turf. And just seeing those guys and the sound the ball made when they hit it Mm -hmm. in the dome was just something cool. And, and I just remember thinking, this is awesome. Like, this is really cool. Until the day they demolished it, I, I loved the kingdom because of that. Yeah. And, I mean, I know they haven't the, you know, Olympic Stadium there in Montreal. They haven't quite demolished it. And I know it's kind of – but it, it holds a special place in my heart, like the kingdom holds in your heart. And I think everybody has that experience. And it could – you know, people call, like uh, – was it uh, – in in New York for the the Mets, um, the old stadium there, they, they you know they it's like it's built on a dump and it's like you know Billy right. Joel has the last Shea Stadium, the last play at Shea, and Billy yeah, Joel's Shea. like, well, it's a dump and everybody, it's our dump, like we yeah. we love it, and it's yeah. kind of like that feeling for everybody. It's like our place. It may be terrible, but we love it. Yeah, and I really I really felt that way, and and it's funny yeah. though the. The first game I went to outside that wasn't in the kingdom was at Dodger Stadium. And my my stepdad had we went down to California for a family reunion or something and we went to a Dodger game and and I remember, you know, I had only been to the kingdom and I remember walking out into Dodger Stadium and and there is a part of me that was like, okay, like <laughs> okay, I get it. Like this is better, right? Yeah. This is this is how you should play, right? Under the sun and the grass and and uh it was re- it was really cool. So I get it. And I would never convince anybody that playing in a dome or, you know, the kingdom is better than than someplace mm-hmm. else. But for me, that first moment, um, you know, my first love certainly was the kingdom. Yeah. Now, I mean, we're talking about stadiums and I like I I like to go into any specific baseball stadium and be like, can you put this anywhere or is it unique to this location? Like. You know, what, what what places have you been to, like stadiums, and what would you say is like either they're very unique or you think that you could put them anywhere? Yeah, well, I'm I'm a big fan of of parks, right? And baseball parks. And and I'll and I'll try to see as many as I can wherever I can. And you know, I've been lucky enough to be at some of the cathedrals of baseball, right? I've been to Wrigley Field and I've been to Fenway Park and I've been to Yankee Stadium and and those are just places that are unique. Like we'll never see a Fenway Park again. We'll we'll never see a stadium like that in a neighborhood like that. We'll never see Wrigley Field again. Um, and and those are are those are really cool. Um, but but all all parks like that. It's I've and, and living in up here in the Pacific Northwest, the one negative is that you're not close to anything. So, you know, there's certainly a lot of parks that um, that I haven't been to, but. But I agree with you. I look for things that are unique to that park. Like I got to go to Pittsburgh, PNC Park, and yeah. the, the the view of the city and the Clemente Bridge. Like you can't imagine that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And it's just beautiful. But like over here, like I'm sad that that Civic Stadium isn't isn't around anymore. I grew up going to Portland Beaver games over there, and I know that they've redone it. It's a beautiful facility for, for soccer. But there was something unique about that being in the heart of Portland. And the big wall and the Jansen swimwear lady that was on the wall out there. Yeah. Like that that was kind of cool for Portland and and I miss it. I think the city loses something by not having a ballpark there. Yeah. And you know, it, one of the things like looking at Portland, just like looking at Portland baseball history, and you know, been in doing this for a while. And and one of the things that like I think I got cheated out of in some ways is the old Vaughn street park. Like just hearing yeah. from some of the old timers, the old timer baseball and, and the old wood seats and bleachers and them peeking through the outfield going into games and, and so on. It's just like, you know, that's, that's the baseball experience there that like, yeah, I, would, I wish I, I could would have love, had. Yeah. I would love to get down South and visit some of those old ballparks that are still around. Some of the old Negro league fields that are mm-hmm. still around and some of the old, uh, old fields that were used in the, in the forties and the fifties. I, I would love to get down there and see some of that because, um, it's just history. Right. And when yeah. you walk into, when you walk into an old park like that, um, you can just feel it. It, it would be amazing to, to see some place that Jackie Robinson played and, and mm-hmm. it's still around today. So I need to, 
on my bucket list for sure is to get down there and, and try to visit some of those old ballparks that are still hanging around. That is, that's a great bucket list. And, uh, I, I would love to go on that journey because I think that would be a lot of fun. Now, speaking of like players, um, we all have that one player when we were growing up that we, you know, we were out like you playing wiffle ball or out doing whatever that we were just mimicking like what they do. What's that one player that you that you were mimicking when you were playing? What well, it, it started for me with Daryl Strawberry, that that was the first favorite player that I, I remember having. And, and, uh, when my brother and I would play wiffle ball, we, we took it pretty serious. So we would, you'd have to pick a team and then you'd bat the lineup. And so when it was Daryl strawberries turn to hit, you had to turn around and hit left-handed. And so I, I learned to hit left-handed trying to be Daryl strawberry. Um, wow. and then, right. And then, um, you know, so, so that was Dale Murphy, was one of my early favorite players. I was never a Braves fan, but I loved Dale Murphy. He was on TV a lot and, and was was a big player during when I was when I was a kid. But um, and then and then eventually it became Ken Griffey Jr. That's when he be, when he got to Seattle, like like all the kids around the Northwest and and, and the country for to some degree. You know, I turned my hat around, you know, like him, and and you know, I wanted to wear twenty four and. You know, I was certainly never cool enough to wear number 24, but mm-hmm. uh, he made it, he made it cool to want to be 24. So um, I, I did more than my fair share of pretending to be Griffey in the backyard. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's like for Griffey, yeah, I know the, the backwards hat, but it's just some of those wall catches like that he made and just the smile on his face that he had a lot of times. Um, you know, just drew me, drew me personally to him, even though like I'm on the East coast, but he's on the West coast, just that draw that he had. Um, yeah, cer- certainly a national player, right? There was a mm-hmm. reason he was the face of the game for a long time and his ability had a lot to do with it, but you're right. All those things, the smile, the hat, the, the highlight reel. I mean, every night he did something crazy and, yeah. and, uh, one of the cool things of growing up over here is that we knew that he was beloved everywhere. Like we knew that. And, but in being from Washington and, and this the Pacific Northwest, it felt like he was ours. And uh, I got to go to the, I went to Cooperstown in 2016 for his hall of fame induction. And there were tons and tons of Mariner fans, obviously. And there were tons of Reds fans. And, and I'd like to tease the red fans. I said, you know, he's not yours. <laughs> you know, he, he was ours, you know, yeah. we let you borrow him for a little bit, but, he he was ours, and it really it really felt like that as a kid watching him play. Did you feel like did you feel as a Mariner fan th- that some heartbreak when he left to go to Cincinnati? Devastated. I was devastated. In fact, a funny story that um, that I tell people sometimes is I'm I'm a big collector. I collect memorabilia and autographs and baseball cards and bobbleheads and all those kinds of things. And and when he left, I got so upset. I I took all all my Griffey stuff and boxed it up. And I, 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 my plan was I was going to throw it away and be like, screw you. Right. But I couldn't bring myself to throw it away, thankfully. Cause, cause he came back, but um, I boxed it all up in a, in a little fit of rage, I guess. And, and put it away. I was, that was a dark day. That was a dark day for Mariner. Fans. Yeah. I understand. I understand now why he did it and why it happened, but um, that was pretty, that was pretty tough to take. Mm-hmm. So I, I take it. A- different different step now and uh what, what what's your favorite baseball movie my favorite baseball movie i'm a field of dreams guy so what, what about field of dreams that makes it that 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 stand out for you so when i i grew up in alaska and i lived there till i was about nine nine or ten and my parents got divorced and we moved we moved shortly after we moved down here to the pacific northwest and so i would go and spend the summers with my dad in Alaska. And the worst day was the last day when we would have to come home because I knew I wasn't going to see my dad again for the rest of the year. And there's always that awkward waiting around to go to the airport, right? You can't really go do anything and you're sad because you're leaving. And my dad would get the gloves and we would play catch and we would go mm-hmm. in the front yard and play catch to pass the time. And and that's where, that's where my love of playing catch kind of started as with my dad in the front yard. And so that that became a happy memory for me on a sad day. And so 
Fast forward to 1989, I'm 16 years old, and Field of the Dreams comes out. And I like baseball, and I'll, oh, I'll go see that. that. That looks good. It's a baseball movie. And then you find out that it's more than a baseball movie. It's about fathers and sons. And we, and we get to the famous part, you know, Dad, you want to have a catch? And mm. I'm 16. I'm sitting in the theater with a bunch of my high school friends, and I just start crying. And they looked at me like, what's wrong with this guy? And it just took me back to being a little kid with my dad playing catch because I was yeah. leaving and it's just never left me. I cry. If it came on right now, I would cry. And mm -hmm. uh, I've gone back there. I took my dad and my sons back to Iowa. We went and played catch on the field of dreams. It was amazing. Um, it's just, it's just part of it for me. And, and I love it. Um, it just, it gets to me. I, and I know some people aren't fans of it, but um, it just, it means something to me uh, more than yeah. just a baseball movie. No, I, I mean, I, I mean, I get it. Like I, I get it for the reason that like I come from a set of parents who were divorced and, you know, I moved, I, I was separated from them and I, I ended up living with my, my aunt and uncle for most of my, my life. And, mm -hmm. you know, my uncle, I consider like my dad because of, you know, the things that like we go out, play catch, he'd coach me. Um, <laughs> funny. <laughs> Funny thing is, I was out with one of my brothers. We were out playing catch in the backyard. And, uh, you know, he was like, oh, I pitched to me, pitched to me. And my dad was inside and sitting on the couch. And my brother's like, pitch. So I was like, throw harder, throw harder, boy. So my brother's like 10 years or more older than me. So I threw hard and I let it go and a little bit too high. And it went zooming up over right through the window. <laughs> my dad's like, what the hell? So bad. <laughs> That's when you tell your dad to quit crowding the plate. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, yeah. But in all seriousness, like I get it. Like I, you know, I, I get that feel. Like I understand like where you're coming from on that, and I can feel and sense like what that means and that value of yeah. that. You know, yeah, is for you. Yeah, special. Now, now that being said, I love. You know, I love Bull Durham. I love the natural. I love the Sandlot. Um, you know, I love major league. So, you yeah, know, I'm, I love that. But for me, if, if it tugs at the heartstrings, it's, it's field of dreams. Yeah. But I think the most like funny ass movie though, for like baseball wise, has got to be major league. I mean, there's so many uh, great quotes that come from classics, this. right? So many classics, just a bit outside. Yeah. You know. Harry Doyle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, classic. Like you can't say goddamn on the radio. Well, who, who the hell was that? Who cares? Nobody's listening. Nobody's <laughs> nobody's listening anyway. Yeah, great yeah. movie. So, um, you know, let let me ask you another fun question. You could have any superpower hero. What would it be and why? Any superpower? Yeah, that's a good question. I I would probably go. I would probably go flight. Okay. I think, I think not for and, me. And, Cause I hate heights. <laughs> well, and here's the thing too. I'm, I'm kind of scared of heights too, but I think if you could fly, you'd get over that because mm -hmm. you, you know, you're not ever falling. You can fly. Yeah. And, and no real reason other than the movies have taught me that it looks super cool to fly around. So, <laughs> so I, I, I think I would, I think I would want to fly around. It, it would probably be, uh, probably be the superpower that I'd pick. Excellent. Excellent. You know, um, so I, I believe you recently went and visited the Negro league baseball museum, if I'm correct. I did. I was there in la last September. So, and, and this goes back, I mean, I'm bringing it up because again, like all that positivity and, like the things that you bring to the baseball community in my mind and what I see is, is that like educating like us, like bringing us in to feel like we're part of your family and the things that like you do. And I love following and I love seeing like, where, where's John? Like what's John doing? <laughs> These fun things. So like, I mean, obviously it's a place that I want to go, but tell me a little bit about that experience and what it was like for you unbelievable and you know obviously as a baseball fan i um you know that was on my bucket list to to get to and it just happened that i was going to be in kansas city i actually went to kansas city to play catch with the man that inspired this whole journey 
Um, so that was certainly on the list. And, and my wife and I went and we spent a Sunday afternoon there. And it's just part of the game that people know about but don't know about, if that makes sense. I mean, we all know Jackie, what Jackie Robinson did, but there's so much more to it than that. And the thing that I took away from it is there's an entire history of the game that is beautiful that came out of a really ugly part of our country. It's it's really ugly that that we lived in a country where we said you can't play a game because of the color of your skin. And the men and women that were involved in the Negro Leagues, you know, they took that and said, okay, well, we'll do it this way. And what they what they did was beautiful. And that history should be celebrated. Yeah. And you walk through that museum and you learn about not only Jackie Robinson, but you learn about Satchel Paige and Buck O'Neill and Buck Leonard and Cool Papa Bell and just some Josh Gibson and Rube Foster. And it's just, it's a history lesson that needs to be taught. And as a, as a lover of baseball and a lover of the game, um, it's a, it's a humbling and inspiring part of the narrative of baseball. And it was an unbelievable experience. We were there a couple of hours. I don't know that we took it all in and saw it all. Um, it's, it's certainly a place that you would need to go back to many times in order to, to comprehend everything that they're showcasing there. Yeah. It's definitely, <laughs> again, like you on your bucket list, it's also like, you know, on my bucket list of, of places to go. Um, speaking of bucket list, you know, you, you know, you've talked about visiting stadiums, but is there a specific stadium or two or whatever it may be that you have yet to go to that, that like, you're like, I, this is a must. Yeah. I'm, like most fans, right. I have a bucket list and, and my, I have a goal to see every, every major league ballpark and I'm, and I'm woefully short again, the, one of the negatives of living um, in the Pacific Northwest is I'm, we're not near anything. Um, so, you know, I am lucky enough that I've seen, you know, what I considered, you know, the iconic ballpark, you know, Yankee stadium, the last one before they made this new one, mm -hmm. Fenway park Wrigley. Um, I would love to get to St. Louis. It's such a baseball town yeah. um, and, and such a cool stadium right there in the city. Um, that That's pretty high on the list. I would love to get to Camden Yards in Baltimore. Yes. Um, kind of kind of one of the first um, of those retro ballparks. For, for the longest time in the 80s, everything was the Kingdom and, and Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, these, these cookie-cutter, you know, Three Rivers ballpark in, in Pittsburgh. And, and Camden Yards was kind of the first um, throwback to the old romantic baseball stadium. And, and I love what I see from it. I'd love to go visit there. Um, I'd love to get to Toronto and, and see Skydome. I know it's not called Skydome anymore, but, um, you know, kind of like the first Rogers Stadium, Rogers Park. Yeah, or something like yeah, that. something like that. I'd, I'd love to get to there. I've never been, never seen baseball from Canada. So that would be really cool. So some those are probably on the top of my list mm -hmm. um, at the moment, but certainly um, my wife kind of rolls her eyes at me because anytime we travel anywhere in the country, which we don't do a lot, but I'm always looking to see, are we close to a ballpark? Can I re feasibly get to a ballpark and see a game at wherever we are? Mm -hmm. And she, she just knows it's the cost of doing business now. You know, I think if you were a true fan, <laughs> Every person's wife is the same exact way because I know, like, yeah. I'm always, I mean, I, you know, I go beyond like major league, like, hey, is there baseball like in this era, either collegiate, either uh, A ball, double A, high, you know, triple A, whatever. It's like, can I go while I'm here to go see this? Because I yeah, just this, love it. This last summer, I, I convinced my wife, bless her heart, we took a weekend trip and we went up to Everett to see the Everett Aqua Sox. And then we came down and saw Tacoma Rainier's game. And then there's a, there's like a, a single, it's kind of like the Portland pickles, but they're in West Seattle. They played that college summer college baseball. Uh, the, I think and it's they're the called fish the West. now. Yeah. The fish sticks. And, yeah. and uh, my wife grew up in West Seattle. So I sold it to her that way. Like, Hey, we could go to West Seattle and see where you grew up. And while we're there, we can go catch a fish sticks game. And we did, it was super cool. So, um, yeah. I did get three. I got three games out of her in that weekend. None of them were a major league game. And nice. I think she had fun. I don't know if she'll admit it, but I think she had fun. Yeah. You know, I, it's it's something about like those trips, even around the like the Pacific Northwest and seeing the different levels of baseball is a, an amazing um, experience. Now, if there's one 
older park that that no longer exists that you could go and visit what would that which one would that be i would have loved to see tiger stadium and it just looks cool to me and you know so they've they've filmed the movies there um, a couple of griffey's famous catches were in tiger stadium just the way the way the grandstands look the way the three decks in the outfield look mm-hmm. cecil fielder hit a ball up under the roof there it just felt like a cool old ballpark to me. And I would yeah. have loved to have seen that before they tore it down. You know, you know, with that ballpark, it, you may have been to the, uh, the old Mac Knight arena where it's like yep. wooden and it's like stacked, you know, that's what kind of like what it reminds me of um, yeah. there. And then, I mean, for me, it'd be Ebbets field. Like if I could go back yes. and see anything, yes, it'd be Ebbets sure. field. For um, sure. Unbelievable, right? Polo grounds, same way. Yeah. That would be that would be incredible. I, I have a uh I have a picture of Ebbets Field in my office at work, just you know, and I mean like you said, right in the neighborhood, right there. Unbelievable. That that would be that would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you know, growing up in New York at that particular period of time, I mean, just the I mean, what three teams in a specific area that you could go see, the Dodgers. The, the Giants and the Yankees. I yeah. mean, just, just amazing. Cradle um, of baseball there for sure. Exactly. So now let, let's jump, let's jump forward here to where we're at. Now, just over a year ago, um, you, you decided to take on this, this 365 play and catch 365 days um, consecutively. And like, what, 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 what inspired you to, to do that? So it was actually born out of a bad situation. So like, like we've talked about, I'm a huge Mariner fan. Um, I go to opening day every year. Uh, I take the seat, the season and the team way too serious. And last year on March 2nd, they were in the middle of a lockout and they canceled the start of the baseball season. And I remember just getting that news and we sort of knew it was coming, but the reality of the baseball season is not going to start on time. Uh, hit me pretty hard and I was upset about it and and everything you read was pretty dark we were hearing the season was going to be in jeopardy they may not play at all you know they were talking about 1994 when the world series was canceled and I was just on the internet I was just honestly looking for something positive I was looking for some kind of good news and I stumbled Mm -hmm. upon a podcast on Twitter I'd never heard of it before it's called the baseball bucket list and like we've talked about tonight, we all have our, our bucket lists as fans. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And that can't be negative, right? So I, I listened to an episode. And the episode that I listened to, they introduced me to a man named Ethan Bryan. And Ethan Bryan lives outside of Kansas City, Missouri. And in 2018, he did this. And, and the far as I can tell, it was his idea. And he played catch every day for a year. And as they talked about it, they talked about how he went about it, how he found people, kind of the lessons he learned, some of the stories that came out of it. And the more I listened to it, the more I just thought this was incredible. I just, it just spoke to me. I thought this was a cool idea. And I started to think, I wonder if I could do it. I wonder if I could play catch every day for a year. I love baseball. I love playing catch. I hadn't played catch in a couple of years because nobody just plays catch anymore. Mm -hmm. And and I went home that night and I told my family, I said, Hey, I heard about this idea. I think I'm going to try it. And my wife was like, oh, that's lovely, dear. And my kids were like, dad, this is just dumb. That's a dumb idea, right? Another mm-hmm. dumb thing dad's doing. <laughs> and and it was nine o'clock and it was dark and raining and cold. And I, I went to my older son's room who was home at the time. And I said, let's go out in the backyard and play catch. And he said, why? It's dark and raining and cold. And I said, that that's fair, but humor me. And we went out in the backyard and we played catch for 10 minutes. And it was awesome. And it was it was amazing and um i came home the next day and and did it again with my younger son and 363 days later i i made it the entire year and uh so it was really born out of can i do it and it became something uh, much different along the way was it hard at first for you to try to find people to play catch with or did that just come easy so what's funny is like day one was my son. Day two was my other son. Day three was my wife. Day four was my dad. Day five was my mom. And so I'm like, I'm going to run out of people here real, real quick. I'm going to have to start figuring out how to ask strangers to play or something. And one of the benefits of this is, and you may know this, my my younger brother is on the radio in Portland. He's a sports talk radio host. Yeah. And 
I have a nightly segment on his show. And so there's a lot of people on social media that, that know me from that and, and have followed me from that. And so I started putting it on Twitter every night. Hey, day four with my dad, this is what happened. And something really cool happened. People started reaching out to me and they were like, hey, I've heard you on the radio for 10 years. I'll come play catch with you. And they started coming to me. And between that and asking strangers and, and friends and family, I never really ran out of people to play with. And mm -hmm. um, it became something, something pretty cool uh, as it unfolded. I had a steady stream of people either I would ask or they would reach out and be like, I'll come play catch with you. And, and it was kind of humbling uh, that so many people cared enough to want to come play with somebody they never met. Mm -hmm. Is there one specific request that stands out to you that like either you get a kick out of or just like, wow. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, this is going to be a bad answer for you, but they really kind of the, kind of the, the line that I've been using is, is everybody has a story. And that's really what I found is every single catch I can tell you I enjoyed. Every single one was unbelievable. Um, there was never one that was awkward. There was never one mm -hmm. that was weird. There were never uncomfortable silences. Every single person I played with had their own reasons for wanting to come and play with me. And and they would come out as we played catch. Um, so I, I don't there are certainly several stories that I tell um often that that stand out a little bit but as far as one that is is above the rest probably not i i had a guy um one of the ones i'll tell you uh, early on before i sort of figured out what what this was going to be my wife and i were in portland and we were uh, eating lunch at a deli and i walked out of the deli and there was a man sitting at a picnic table and i decided i would go ask he was wearing a ball cap and i thought i'll go ask him to play catch and so i went over to him and i said i know this is going to sound weird but i'm doing this thing is there any way you play catch with me? And he told me that he loved the game. He used to play and coach, but he had had a stroke four years ago and almost died from it. And he didn't think he could catch the ball or throw the ball again. And I asked him if he was willing to try, and he said that he would. So on a, on a sidewalk in Portland in front of a deli on a random Saturday with a guy I just met, I played catch with him. And I threw him the ball, and he looked at it, and he got tears in his eyes. And when we were done, he came over to me and he said, I, I never knew, never thought I'd play catch again. Thank you for asking a stranger. And I said, thank you for trusting one. And we got the car to leave and my wife was in tears and I was in tears. And my wife looked at me and she said, this isn't going to be about baseball, is it? And I mm -hmm. said, no, I don't think so. I think this is going to be about people and yeah. about connecting with people. And that was in the first, that was like day 30. And over the next 330 plus days, um, I, that, that was the case. It, it really wasn't about baseball. It was mostly about people. And, and that was kind of yeah. cool. What do you think was the most common thing that like was brought up during these conversations that you had playing catch? Yeah. So we, uh, obviously baseball, we talk about a lot, but, um, the people that would, that knew me from the radio would want to talk about the radio or my brother or, or how, what it's like to be on the radio. Um, everybody, they know I'm a huge Mariner fan. So I loved, loved when Mariner fans would come play catch with me and we would talk Mariners like we talked yeah. about earlier in your show, right? Growing up and things that we had seen and places we talked about stadiums that we had been to. Um, but one of the cool things was a lot of times we didn't talk about baseball at all. And we would talk about fathers and sons, fathers and mothers, uh, brothers, siblings growing up, kind of their, their origin stories of how they fell in love with the game. Um, and, and so just about everything we would, we would talk about everything. There was really mm -hmm. no rhyme or reason to it. And that was really cool. You never, you never knew what you were going to get. And, and another line that I use a lot is it's just a catch until it's not, and you never know till you throw the ball. And, and that was really true. I, I never knew what the conversation would turn into until you start throwing the ball back and forth. And then it could be anything, you know, and yeah. that was really that was really cool for me over the course of the year to to see. Yeah, and that's why I, I always say I think baseball is a family. It's 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 more than just baseball. It's a family because it's just like you, you it brings things out. for some reason. I feel like it brings things out of you that you may not like just be willing to talk to just any like normal, ordinary Joe. 
I played catch with the lady one time in the park and, and I didn't know her and we start playing catch and she just starts telling me about her life. And it was a hard life. She had had some really rough spots. You know, she had been to prison and she had had some substance abuse problems and, and, um, you know, almost, almost died on the streets. And she kind of had a moment of, of clarity and decided to get some help and rebounded up. And she's in a, in a good relationship now and has a, has a job. She just gave me this whole narrative of her life and she's crying as she's telling me this. And I don't know that I said a word. We, I just listened and threw the ball back to her for, for 10 or 15 minutes and she gets done and she looks at me and says, I don't have any idea why I told you any of that. She goes, I, I didn't, I just wanted to play catch with you. I'm a Phillies fan. I just wanted to talk about the Phillies and it just came out. And I told her it happens more than you think. It happens mm -hmm. more than you think that you just end up talking about your, your dad or your grandmother or your family or your kids. And, and I joke with people all the time that I cried with so many strangers over 365 days. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah. But there's just something about it. Right. And that's not me. That's not me being great. That's not the game. There's something about catch and the rhythm of it and the ball and the back mm -hmm. and forth and the sound and the nostalgia of it. When you do that, you lower your guard and you talk to people and you connect in a way that I don't think you can you can do as effectively any other way. Mm -hmm. So if, if somebody comes to you and says, John, you know, I'm thinking about doing this, like I want to. You've kind of inspired me to to go and play catch. What what are your keys that you're telling them? Like, you know, hey, here's the things that I did right, but you know, like here's some here's some lessons learned. Sure, sure. The the first thing I would tell them is do it. Absolutely do it. When when I reached out to Ethan, he was the inspiration behind this. He was nothing but positive. He said, do it, it'll change your life. And he was supportive and he's been supportive the whole time. So uh, I would I would tell people to do it. Absolutely do it. Commit to it and try it. The second thing I would tell them is get comfortable asking strangers because you're going to need to. And for me, I developed this little spiel, right? Because we live in a world where we don't talk to strangers. We don't approach strangers. We don't we don't do that. And, and I'm a big guy. And I get that coming up to somebody on the streets is a little bit weird. So I developed a little spiel where, you know, hey, I'm doing this thing. And and I kind of, I have to quickly tell you what I'm doing without convincing you that I'm asking you for money or I'm crazy or something like that. So I would say get, get comfortable um, asking strangers. And one of the cool things about my journey is 365 days, almost 600 people. I was told no one time of all, if you do the math, that's crazy. You would think somebody would say no or take a hike or do whatever. One person said no. And again, that's not me. I think there's something about playing catch that intrigues people. So I would say to, to people, get used to asking strangers and, and look for opportunities to, um, I would drive around if I didn't have somebody scheduled to play catch with me, I would drive around and look for opportunities. Is there somebody, you know, you know, in their, in their driveway playing basketball that might be willing to play catch? Is there somebody walking down the street? wearing a baseball jersey that is might be a baseball fan. So look for those things as you go through your day and you'd be surprised how many um, opportunities pop up. And then kind of the third thing that I would tell people is listen. And, and I, I tried really hard not to make this about me. And I know that sounds funny because I was the one doing it and writing about it, but I never really felt like it was about me. I felt like it was about the people I played catch with. And so when you do that, listen. And if you mm -hmm. just listen to people, you get amazing stories. You get amazing experiences. You can feel that. And, and that would be my advice to somebody, somebody to do it is, is listen. Listen as mm -hmm. you play catch. Look for opportunities and listen. And um, when I, again, when I reached out to Ethan, he said, do it. It'll change your life. And I kind of rolled my eyes at it and was like, ah, I'm just playing catch. But over the last year, he was right. He was right. It, it certainly became something that I love to do and, uh, and change my life in a, in a good way. What was the, how old was the youngest person that you played catch with? Three years old. Three years, Three years old. old. Yeah. But I had a guy brought his son to a park and, and his son was more interested in the playground, rightfully so than whatever we were doing. But, uh, 
he, he had a little glove and he would kind of, you know, he roll him the ball and he would pick it up and, and kind of throw it back in my general direction. And he thought it was funny if I had to go chase it. So, <laughs> um, so we did that. So three was the youngest and then 93 was the oldest. Oh, um, wow. And, and just about everybody in between old, young men, women, black, white, uh, you know, rich, poor, um, about anybody you can think of in that range from three to 93. Um, everybody can play catch. And and I certainly found that to be the case over the last year. Yeah. And so you like to, to, to wrap this like 365 days up, you had probably what would be a beyond bucket list, beyond just phenomenal, yes. like end experience. Yeah. And like, I saw, I mean, just seeing the, like what you did, like my mouth dropped, but, you know, you got to play catch on the final day with Ken Griffey Jr. Um, yes. I, on I the can field. On the field in yeah. Seattle. But I can't imagine, like, what feel what, what the feelings were like and, like, what was going through your mind. Just if you don't mind, like, think, telling us about, like, what was going through your mind at that time. Unbe- it was unbelievable. And as we got closer... Um, you know, people would ask me how I wanted it to end. And, and I, like I said, I get romantic about baseball. And if I could write the Hollywood ending, it would be, you know, with my baseball hero, Ken Griffey Jr. at my favorite place, which is Safeco Field. And, and, but that's ludicrous, right? That could never happen. And, and then the stars aligned and it was going to happen. And uh, I went up there, my wife and my son were with me and, and we, we were, we stayed in a hotel across the street from the stadium and we were waiting for the call. And, um, you know, we got it. We, we walk across the street and we go into the front office of the, of the stadium and the security guard says, are you, are you guys Ken Griffey Jr.'s group? <laughs> and I just, I'm like, yeah, can you say that again? And, uh, <laughs> we, we waited in the lobby and the elevator, we heard the elevator ding and it opens up and Ken Griffey Jr. walks out and it's just, it's surreal, right? How many times have I watched him play? How many times have I watched him on TV? How many I have posters and and autographs hanging in my room right now. And he's standing there in front of me and he comes over and he introduces himself. And I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. And he, you know, he meets my wife and my son and we take the elevator down and we're walking through the, through the guts of the stadium. And we come around the corner and I can see the light to the, to the tunnel. And like we talked about earlier, like you can see the tunnel and and Mm -hmm. there it is. And we're walking through the tunnel and Ken Griffey Jr. is in front of me. And, and you get out there and you can see the light and, and the stadium and the sky. And I'm telling you, I'm 49 years old. And the moment I stepped onto that grass, I was 12. And yeah. it was it was unbelievable. And he turned around and he looked at me and he said, are you ready to do this? And uh, and I and I said, yeah. And, and, you know, he throws me the ball and I catch it. And the thought occurred to me, like, how many times have I seen him throw the ball? Right. I've seen him throw runners out and throw home and throw it. I've seen it a thousand, a hundred thousand times. And this time I caught it and I mm-hmm. threw it back. And just to have that moment, it was a, it was a pinch me moment. It really was. I had told my wife and my son, take as many pictures as you can while we're doing it. Cause I won't be able to comprehend anything that's going on. Yeah. I'll need to go back when it's over. Um, so just a surreal, a surreal moment and, and still one that I have a hard time kind of believing really happened i gotta ask were you afraid like am i gonna drop it is it like it's gonna skip off <laughs> my glove hit me in the melon or am i gonna hurt this 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 god of baseball <laughs> like i i felt i felt pretty good because i had played catch 364 days in a row so i felt pretty good that i was i was gonna be all right now griffey's a noted he likes to joke around and prank and and do stuff so there was a part of me that's like, what if he burns one in? Like, what if he uncorks one and throw, you know, throws me the fastball? Yeah. Like, am I prepared for that? But neither one of us are in our prime anymore. So it, it was just a nice, nice leisurely game of catch. Nobody, nobody was trying to show the other person up. So, um, okay. but yeah, it was, it, it's a little nerve wracking, right? You certainly don't want to airmail one to Ken Griffey Jr. and make him go chase it. <laughs> Yeah, you can imagine how that would go over. <laughs> right, right, for sure. That's, I mean, to me, it's like, 
that was just the cherry on the cake. And yeah, I mean, you know, to, to be able to, to me, it's like to be able to play with like your, your, one of the people that you idolize, but like, you know, as I think, um, Greg Popovich has this, has this quote. It's like, everybody can see like that last stroke that goes into, to the, that the stone cutter makes to break the stone. Everybody can see that. And it's that, but, but it's like, what took that, how many strokes and how many times and the things, the repetitiveness that it took to get to that. And it's like all that in between that it took. And you got all of these stories and all, you know, these people that you spent this year with. Um, and, and what a memorable experience. Yeah, it really is. It really was fun to re- reflect on. I, I couldn't help but think, you know, a year ago, I went out into the backyard of my house in Washougal, Washington with, with my son, and I played catch. And if you would have told me then that 365 days later, I'd be on the field at Safeco Field or T-Mobile Park with Ken Griffey Jr., I would have like, I mean, that's ludicrous. The math doesn't add up. There's just no way that you could even remotely think that's possible. And to think back at everything along the way, like you said, it's a great analogy. Every, every swing of the hammer from the stone cutter, every catch, every person that was a part of it, every person that shared it on social media or, or the news media or, you know, however it happened, it, it it added up and, Mm -hmm. and it added up to, the stars aligned and Griffey was nice enough to do it. Um, he was intrigued enough by it to take his time to, to make somebody's dream come true. He didn't owe us that he didn't, he didn't need to do that. And for him to take the time, I mean, we, we were, we were out there for 45 minutes just playing catch and talking. He didn't, he didn't need to do that. And, um, so just, just a perfect storm of, of amazing, amazing things. And again, I, I consider myself extremely lucky extremely fortunate that I was a part of not only the entire year journey, but certainly to end it that way was, was incredible. Yeah. John, I mean, you're the type of people that I like to bring on to the show, um, you know, to, to tell their story, to tell these things, to, to share their experiences, because I think that it, it tells, it really paints a picture about what the, what baseball is about and to allow us to share this in perpetuity for people to really hear here. We're just, you know, anybody that plays baseball is just a normal person. Um, and so I'm very appreciative that you've shared this journey with all of us and honored to be able to be, be a part of that in the Twitter sphere and, and, and to hear that. And I just, you know, thank you so much. I mean, really like, Thank you for sharing that with us. And I, I don't know if, if 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 anybody's really like said that to you, but like really, like truthfully, from the bottom of my heart, like thank you for making us a part of your life and sharing that story. I, I appreciate that. One of one of the cool things for me um through this journey is um, like I said, I, I never in a million years would have guessed people would care. Yeah, uh, you know, it's just a guy running around playing catch. And the fact that they did is a testament to the game. It's a testament to to people's stories and and playing catch. And um, it's humbling to me. What's more valuable than your time? And, and there were people out there that I didn't know that were willing to give up their time and come play catch with me. So um, I, I appreciate those those compliments and those things you said. That means a lot. And I would, I would only say I, I have the same feelings for all the people that were a part of it. I can't thank them enough. Um, if it was me and my son every day for a year, not, nobody would care. Um, it became something crazy and cool because so many people were willing to play catch with a stranger. And um, I, I can't thank them enough. And, and thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for talking baseball and, and sharing people's stories. Thank you for having me on. Um, my honor, absolutely my pleasure to do it. Uh, I will say this, that now that we've been here and talked for this, we, you and I need to get together and have a catch. <laughs> yes, I do. I do owe you a catch and I would be honored to, to be able to do that. And we'll, we will definitely make that happen. Perfect. Soon. Perfect. I'll, I'll hold you to that. Cause I was thinking about it just the other day myself before, like, I was like, you know, I really want to go play catch with John because 
Like, I want to just have this conversation with him. But, you know, in all honesty, like, you know, I'm a dad, you know, you're a dad. Just let's have dad conversations. Let's just let's just have a talk. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you, there's a fun, you know, we've talked about it tonight. There's a funny thing. You start throwing the ball back and forth. You just talk and and we'll get we'll get a little bit of baseball in we'll get a little bit of of dad talk we'll get a little a bit of whatever and uh and i can honestly tell you that um they've all been great and i and it, and it will be great when we get together to play catch as well absolutely well thank you for again sharing your story i appreciate your time and this has been a quick i mean to me you know we've been on there about an hour but honestly, it's been way too quick for me because I sure. really, really enjoyed this episode and recording with you tonight. I, I appreciate you having me on. I'm happy to do it. It's great to talk to you. And, uh, and we'll do it again anytime, anytime. Absolutely. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Diamonds and Roses podcast. We're, back, like I said, in it, season six. I love it. I love talking baseball. If you're interested in coming on or you know somebody interested and coming on please let them know we're on all platforms twitter we're on tiktok or on blah 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 whatever whatever awk that's out there we're on it but uh we'll be back with more great episodes you have a great day wherever you are at and peace out